Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. We're going to say we want to be a, a church that loves people. We want to be a church that values life. And we want to be a church on mission. And, and to put it most simply, a church on mission is a church that loves. is a church that does a good job at loving people. And so what I want to um, talk about today is a picture and a mirror and a window. Because when we look at the Bible, when we look at Jesus, Jesus offers us a picture and a mirror and a window. He gives us a picture because he says, I want you to see what this looks like in my life. We look at Jesus and we get a picture of the life God has for us. Okay, Jesus gives us the best example of a life lived following the Father, in step with the Father. We look at him and we get a picture. And then he doesn't leave it there, he makes it personal. And he turns it, and it turns into a mirror that we look into. And he says, I don't want you to just look at Jesus, I want you to look at yourself. That we look at ourselves now, having looked at Jesus, and we apply that within We say, this affects me. This is a part of how I get transformed. I look at Jesus and he breathes into me and it changes me. That's the mirror. And then the window is, I look at Jesus, I see a picture. I look at me in the mirror of what I see. And now I get a window and it helps me look at other people. I look through Jesus at other people. So it's a picture, it's a mirror, and it's a window. And the how I want to step through being a church that does a good job at loving others, a church on mission, is I want to say, mission starts with me. Before we go and love others, mission starts in my own heart. Mission starts with me. And then point two is, mission looks for others. And then point three is, mission seizes moments. Being a church that loves people, being people who love people, seizes moments that God brings along. And there's a difference between creating and seizing, okay? So we don't have to do all the stuff in working this up. We just have to listen and seize what God brings our way. When Leslie and I were doing student ministry in Fond du Lac at Community Church, um, one of the things that we loved was something we, we call lab. So we met on Sunday nights in what we called group, and it was meant to be a wide net cast. Anybody welcome, anybody invited, we're going to come and we're going to have fun. Um, we're going to open up God's word, and we're going to talk about how God relates to life, how, how God is relevant, how God is real, and how God is calling your name. Really wide net. Lab was meant as an equipping time of student leaders who had already dedicated their life to following Jesus, knew who they were, and it was like, we want to we help you recognize your identity. We want to help you and equip you in walking this out. And it was meant to be like, uh, if we can help you share Jesus with your friends, that's a huge deal. One of the nights that we were uh, at our house on a Monday night doing lab, some friends brought Andy along. Andy didn't know Jesus. And I was like, that is not for him. Like, wide net Sunday night, focused. I don't know what Andy's going to get out of tonight. This is not geared toward him. And that night specifically was a night that Leslie and I had set up to do, um, this is an awkward, like, church thing, 
Um, and we've never done it here. I don't know that we'll ever do it here. We did a foot washing, okay? And it's like um, we, we had the kids sit in kind of our best chair one at a time. And they took off their shoes, and Leslie and I had a bucket of water, and we just washed their feet to say, we want, we want to follow Jesus as he served. We want you to know that Leslie and I are here to serve you. And as we washed their feet and just kind of rinsed it in warm water, we spoke into their life, this is what we see in you, specifically. And took time to affirm each one of the 15 or so kids that were in our house that night. And Andy wasn't really a part of it. Um, did we wash Andy's feet? I can't even remember. It was like, I just met you, dude, but good job coming. Um, Andy was overwhelmed, overcome. And I remember sitting on the porch that night, and he says, I can't believe what I just saw. I have never experienced love like that. I want it. How do I get that? And I grabbed one of the students who had invited him to say, let's talk with Andy about Jesus. And he was just overcome. And the purpose wasn't for him that night, but it, it entirely was. And Andy accepted Christ on our porch, not because we had argued his way into the kingdom, but because love won him. And it was just compelling to him. When we do a good job loving each other and outside, people get it. People get it. People want it. People don't want to be argued with. Like, that can be helpful. Sometimes people are asking legitimate questions and they really want legitimate answers. But I don't know how many people have come to Christ really truly as the result of losing an argument. Far more when they say Jesus, they see Jesus' love in action. When I say mission starts with me, I mean Jesus has come into my life and I recognize that I am loved and it does something to me that I have something to share. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 5, and I want to open up Matthew 5 in a very simple passage where he says, you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. And what he's doing here I think is pretty profound, and I want to jump off of that this morning. In Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, Jesus is talking to his followers, and he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand... And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Last week, Michael asked a question. What would it look like if we radically valued life? 
And I want to bounce off that today. What would it look like if we as a church radically loved people? If we were a church that saw people, if we were a, people, we, we were a church that loved people radically. And Jesus is talking about salt and light. And I think what he's doing is he's giving, he's speaking identity, and he's also speaking purpose. He's also speaking mission. He's speaking like, this is what I'm calling you to do. Here's your responsibility. He says salt and light. And there are different uses for both of those. Okay? Salt was highly, highly, highly valuable. It was one of the purest substances around in the day. People looked at salt and they, they saw that this is something that is pure. So when Jesus, when Jesus calls them salt, he's saying, you are called to be pure in this world. That people see you and they know that you're, you're ethical. You're not taking shortcuts. You're not like cheating on taxes. You're not screwing people over. You live a life above the line. You have a high standard for the way life is lived. Not in a judgmental way, but in a I will, I will live morally. And not in an arrogant way either. But like I will do a good job in the way I live and the way that I treat others. It was ethics. Salt was also a preservative. They didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have coolers. If you wanted meat, often salt was rubbed into it and it served to keep the rot out. There was a moral component in that that could help help something not go bad. And Jesus calls the people around him to be like a moral kind of presence in the world. Say, this world has rot in it. And your presence here should work more like a preservative. I don't want you adding to the rot. I want you here to protect. I want you here so that things can be healthy. Don't go the other way. Don't just go along with the stream of this world. Work against rot in a way that protects lives and protects people. And the other, the other thing about salt was that it added flavor. I love this quote. I have been to church today, and I am not depressed. I want that to be true for you. I don't want you to be with the church, to be with the church family, and to walk out of here feeling, eh, eh. I want... I want your experience, not just at church, but with the church, to be one that says, I need my church. I walk with my church. They are with me, and we are in this together. I've been to church today, and I'm not depressed. It's spoken life into me, breathed into me. Following Jesus is meant to bring out the flavor in life, not to be, uh, not to suck the life out of life, but to add life. I don't know where I would be without Jesus. I can imagine all kinds of places where I would be, and it wouldn't be good. I was talking to somebody recently about like how Jesus following Jesus is hard. Like, yeah, but that's not all it is. It is hard, but it's also life. It's good, and it's joy. Jesus says, I want you to be salt. And what he's saying there is I want you to be different. I don't want you to just fit in. 
I want people, when they bite into you, to realize something different is going on here. I like that. What is that? And then he says, you're the light of the world, which may be one of the most profound compliments um, in all of history, as he calls himself the light, and then he puts that on us, and he puts that on his followers. He says, you, you are the light of the world. And then he says some things like, nobody lights a lamp and then puts it under a bowl. Like, nobody hides this. They put it on a stand so that it can be seen, so that it can light up the whole house, right? He says, a city on a hill can't be hidden. You get to see people. So a couple different purposes, just like salt was meant to be pure, meant as a preservative, and meant to bring out the flavor in life. Light, light is meant to be seen. It's meant to be seen, not hidden, not covered. Light is meant as a guide. They say, show me the way. Give me something to look at so that I can see what next steps to take. I love how the book of Psalms says, your word, God, is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. That says, I'm not just wandering around this uh, bumbling through life. You, God, show me the way. Your word is a lamp. Your word is a light. But then Jesus says, it's not just the Bible. It's you living it out. You living it out are a light for people to see Jesus. Don't hide it. It's meant to be seen. Oftentimes, and I struggle with this, I don't want to be arrogant, and I don't want to be overbearing. So I think more more than I should, I kind of hide the lamp within me. And Jesus says, knock that off. Shine. Do your job, not in a shameful way, not in an arrogant way, but if Jesus is in you, you are the light. Shine. Share that with people. Be a guide that says, if you want to see what following Jesus is like, look at me. You don't have to read the headlines that say all of Christians get lumped up into this. I don't care about headlines. Follow me as I follow Jesus. You are the light. Don't rely on anybody else to do the light shining for you. Be the light. And it's not something you cook up on your own. Jesus is the light within you shining it out. He says, nobody lights a lamp and then hides it, right? Lamps don't light themselves. You shine not because you're really good. You shine because Jesus is in you. And he shines through you. All you have to do is not hide it. You don't have to create it. It's meant to be seen. It's meant as a guide. And then other times, it's also meant as a warning. Think of a lighthouse, right? Ships are coming in and there's a storm. The reason that they have lighthouse is so that in a fog or in a storm, a ship stops a safe way out and doesn't just crash into the rocks. There is a light that is serving as a warning. Don't come this way too close. Come into safe harbor, but be careful. You as a light 
are called by Jesus to be a warning. That means sometimes you're called to say hard things to people, and they may not like it. But if you keep going this way, you will crash. If you keep going this way, you will find yourself devastated. And I'm not telling you this because I'm a judge over your life. But Jesus called me to be a warning because I care about you. I will tell you the truth. You are called, church, to be a light. And there is a time when a light is meant to be a warning. Jesus says, I want you to be radically different. Be salt. And I want you to radically identify with people. They can identify with you. I want you to be radically seen. Be salt and light. And now the two combine so that Christians are called to be radically different and radically seen. And that is a powerful combination. You are the light of the world. And you are the salt of the earth. Live that out. That starts with me. I recognize with Jesus, I already am salt. I already am light. I want to live like it. I want the way that I live to echo what Jesus has already planted within me. So one, mission starts with me as salt and light. It starts with you as salt and light. Two, mission looks for others. It sees others. This is about taking the mirror and turning it into a window so that we look through Jesus at other people in our life and in our world. Who do you see? Michael and I, I was at West last week talking about the same topic. We talked about restorative justice. And the heart of restorative justice is this People who seek out others and look for ways to help. Not in a condescending, I'm better than you kind of way, but in, I want to help. How can I engage in helping? And Jesus is the ultimate example of this when he says, I, came to, I didn't just come to seek and help, I came to seek and save. Like Jesus came to our rescue. That is the ultimate example of one who saw us and helped us. Like he saved us. He shows us this all, like through all kinds of different examples. Like the song that we sang about of the uh, God who will leave the 99 and come for us. That comes out of a story that Jesus told of a shepherd with 100 sheep and one gets lost, one walks away and maybe for its own dumb reason or stupid thinking, like it just got lost. And the shepherd recognizes that it's gone and doesn't say, well, one out of a hundred ain't that big of a deal. He said, one of a hundred? I gotta go find it. I gotta go get it. A shepherd who recognizes the lost sheep and then goes for it. A shepherd who sees his sheep, knows them by name, and goes for it. We need to be people who will go for the one, who will leave, leave people in safety and go for the one in trouble. That doesn't mean neglect all these others, and like, but we need to see people who need help and go meet them there. I love the story in Luke 19 where Jesus is walking into town and Zacchaeus, who is a wee little man, right? Zacchaeus is this short dude. I picture him as short and stubby. 
but he's a tax collector. He's kind of an evil dude. He's all kinds of rich because he screwed people over, over and over and over and over. And he, but he wants to see Jesus. And I love how Luke 19 says, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. He couldn't because he was short. So he climbs up a tree. And then it says, Jesus looked at him and called his name. Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to stay with you today. I'm going to come to your house. And I love the emphasis that Luke puts on seeing. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. He had a desire. And I bet he didn't even know what he was going to look at. I bet he didn't even know what Jesus was really about. He had heard stuff about Jesus. There was something attractive about Jesus, and he just wanted to see. And then Jesus looked at him. And he saw him. And he called his name and he said, I'm, I'm going to spend time with you. And then he passes this on to his followers, right? So as he calls his uh, followers to him and he appoints 12 and he calls them apostles, he says, it says what? It says he called so that they would be with him. That means I see you. I don't just see you like we're going to do this together. That they would be with him and then what? that he would send them out to be seen and to be sent out to do life together and then to go after others to invite them in. I want you to know this. I want us as a church this and I want this to move us. You are loved and you are sent this is true for us as a church, and this is true for you. You are loved, and you are sent. God loves you, and it's not just for you. As a child of God, you have an identity. That's what we've talked about in Covenant and Kingdom. God is our Father, and we are his children. You are loved, and it doesn't end there. That's great that we can be loved. And he says, and now you're ready to be sent. You are salt and you are light and you need, to, you need to share this. I want that to be something that moves us, that we are loved and that we are sent. Jesus pulls you up out of the mud and then he sends you back into it knowing that you can't get trapped again. But now as a rescue mission for others. It's like Moses at the burning bush. Remember how we talked about that a few weeks back? That Moses has this incredible encounter with God, and then God turns it on him and says, now I want you to go and walk my people to freedom. And Moses is like, can I just stay here? Can I? Because I love God. I love what you're doing in my life right now. I want to stay here with you. And God says, no, I want you're my guy. You need to go. I'm sending. No, I want to stay. I don't think I'm qualified yet. I want you to go. Can't you just send somebody else? Go! Like, go! Do it! The point of life is not just to do life with God. It's to go with God. To recognize that you are sent and recognize that you are loved and then recognize that you are sent. To be salt and to be light in this world. Now, this is not natural. Our natural inclination is like Moses. We are 
we tend to be narcissistic. We tend to be all about us. We love the mirror. Like, show me more of myself. Narcissus was this guy in uh, ancient mythology who was really beautiful, really beautiful, and could never find a love that deserved him until he saw his image in the pond. And he's like, I found the one that fulfills me. I found the one that my heart desires. And he got so enwrapped in his own picture that he just stayed there the rest of his life. He just stayed staring into the pool. What a loss of a life. But we, we often do that. We, we think about what we need or what we want or we're how we're not equipped enough or we're, how we're not bold enough or we're not something enough. And we, if I could just grow in this way. And Jesus said, you got everything. Go be salt. Go be light. Quit worrying about what you're not. Let me be enough. Let me be enough in your life. Go and do it. Because if I'm struggling, it matters. How I'm feeling matters. What I need matters. But not in a way that blocks me from shining. Not in a way that blocks me from recognizing how God has already sent me. How he's already empowered and equipped. So Jesus gives us a picture of him. This is what a life following the Father, listening to the Father, knowing your identity, and being confident in that looks like. I want you to flip that on you, church, and look at your life in the life of Jesus. It starts with you. Look at your life in the mirror, but then let the mirror become a window so that you could see other people because we don't bear our own image. God put his image within us. We bear God's image. You are beautiful and you are loved and so is the person next to you and so is the person down the street and so is the person with a cart full of groceries in the express lane and the person serving you coffee or doing your hair or doing your taxes people who are loved by God who are beautiful in his image so mission mission starts with me it moves to a life that looks at people sees people and then the third point is mission seizes moments to love this is all over the place in the New Testament the good Samaritan who a guy gets beat up and then people walk by to say, ah, I got places to go. I got a life of purpose to live. And one dude unexpectedly stops. He sees him and he doesn't just see him and pass by. He sees him and he seizes the moment. He says, I will meet him. I will get down in the mud with him. There's a story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch um, in Acts 8, and I want to read this together because I, I love how the Bible walks this story out. Acts 8, starting in verse 26. Can we do that one? Latoya, you keep flirting with him. 
This is Acts 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south. So here's sending, right? Listening to the voice of God being sent. Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Philip is walking with God, and he hears the Spirit say, go over there. Okay, I'll do that. And as he gets close, he recognizes what's happening. The eunuch in the chariot, he's reading Isaiah, and he's like, do you, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand that? Man, I don't know what I'm reading. How can I, unless someone is a light for me, unless someone serves as a guide for me and shows me what this is all about? Is Philip creating this? Is he badgering the guy? Is he being overbearing? He's just responding to what God is doing, and he's coming along. He's just not hiding it or hiding from it. And he says, I would love to talk with you about this. And he comes up inside the chariot, and they talk. And the guy sees Jesus. I get it. I want it. Water. Let's get baptized. Can we do that? Can we do that right now? Does it have to be like holy water or something? Like, can I... What's preventing me? Nothing? Let's do this thing. I want to follow Jesus. And Philip's like, didn't see that coming. But he responded. He went up to a guy he didn't know. And he said, what's going on in your life right now? And the guy was ripe. The guy was like, I, I've been waiting for you. I have been waiting for you. A couple weeks ago, can I talk about Matt? I didn't ask him. And Rocky? Okay, so Matt Allsweed was in here a couple weeks ago just during the week because our printer is broken and is a frustration. And, and, and Matt's coming and saying, I'll, I'll wait for the tech to come out and fix it. And Matt, I'm talking about you. And, and the dude's name is Rocky. And he came in to like fix our printer and he starts talking to Matt. And through the course of the conversation, he's, Rocky says, Matt, I've been waiting three years for somebody like you. I can't believe how good God is. I'm coming to church. 
And we haven't seen Rocky yet. But Matt was just sitting on a frustration. And yet Matt had eyes to see someone. Matt didn't cook it up and say, can I share Jesus with you? You're fixing a church printer. That should get you something, right? (laughs) He just talked with a guy and shared his heart. And Rocky was ripe. So if Rocky comes, like I want to, I want to be like, thanks for fixing our printer. You're welcome here. And that's it. Like, no, like, we don't have to dance circles around him or do some kind of weird initiation. <laughs> Just love the guy. Just see the guy and say, thank you. And you're, we want to be a church that sees you. Philip hears from God and he responds. He notices and he asks one question and a fire hydrant opens up. And by the end of it, guy's getting baptized. This doesn't have to be uber spiritual. If the idea of walking up to somebody and sharing Jesus with them is like repulsive to you, it doesn't have to be uber spiritual. It means seeing people as image bearers. And saying, I wonder what's going on in their life. You can tease that out. And if they respond and open doors, you've been given permission to take another step. And you do the dance, following God. We don't have to make it up. We follow Jesus. Our job is to pray, God, what are you doing? How can I be a part of it? So in my own life, I think, I'm so thankful for Scott and Peggy and Paul and Darla who, when I was like five years old, befriended my parents and invited us to community church. My dad was an ultra-cynic skeptic, thought Christians were witless idiots, but accepted the invitation on behalf of a friend. And through those relationships, through those relationships, my dad came to faith in Christ, and it changed the trajectory of our family, and it changed the trajectory of my life. Damascus Road, I'm here today because of Scott and Peggy and Paul and Darla. Not just them. They were salt and light. They were living life, loved and sent by Jesus. And it made a difference. They were just doing normal stuff. So who who needs to be seen Who needs to be loved? That's a question I want you to be asking all the time. Who needs to be seen and who needs to be loved? And I'll tell you a way that I'm just walking this out simply in my own life these days is um, I'm trying to spend, when I get coffee, I'm now trying to, instead of like going all over town, like all the good coffee shops, I'm saying as much as I can, I want to focus in on one coffee shop. And I want to introduce myself to the baristas and get their name. When the first time I did this, this felt all kinds of awkward for you, for me. You may not be like that. You might do this all the time and just like introduce yourself to everybody you meet. For me, that feels really weird. The first time I said, hi, I'm Shannon, what's your name? I expected to be like, here's your coffee. She said, I'm Candy. 
And her face kind of lit up a little bit like, I have a name. I'm not just coffee girl. <laughs> and since then, I've met Candy and Brianna and Joe and Avery and Mike. They all work at the same coffee place. And it, and it hasn't gone any further than that. I haven't been like, Candy, I just want you to know Jesus loves you today. <laughs> what? Weirdo? But maybe at some point, they're like, dude, you're in here all the time. And you're meeting with people. And I listen sometimes, and you're talking about God. Yeah. I have a question. I would love for that to happen. Right now, I'm just focusing on seeing people. Not trying to create something. Not trying to force something. Just seeing people and valuing them as image bearers. For you, I would say, where are you? Michael asked this question, what's in your hand? Like the story of Moses, God says, what's in your hand, Moses? He's like, I got a staff. He's like, I can use that. And God uses it in Moses' life. What's in your hand? Where are you in life? Where are you already at? Where are you already spending time? What coffee shops are you going to? What neighborhood do you live in? Where do you take walks? Where are you going out on dates? Where are you eating? What, where are you? Right there, see people. Right there, see people. Go to the mall and see people. And say, God, is there someone specifically that you want me to see? And if you want to do something, do it. Don't let me hide from it. I think you can. And I think God does. People who just pass by you on the street could be somebody that God wants you to see and walk into some kind of profound relationship with. That God in his power is moving and all you do is seize it. All you do is walk into it. Be salt. Be light. You already are in Jesus. Don't hide it. It starts with you. It moves, it moves out so that you see people. And you start to be people who seize moments that God is bringing. See Jesus. Turn the mirror on yourself to see what he's done in your life. And then let it be a window by which you can see people and love people. I will never forget that night on my porch of a kid who was overcome because of love and wanted Jesus because of it. I want us to be that kind of church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your adoption of us. Thank you that you see us, that you love us, that you created us, and you are still pursuing us. We thank you that you know our name. You don't even have to ask. You know us in all the little intricacies of who we are, our oddities and our failures and our beauties. You know all of it. And you love us. Thank you for calling us to you. Thank you for putting within us your image. 
that we get to be salt and we get to be light, that we get to be different from the world around us and we get to be seen by the world around us as we reflect you. Help us do a good job at seeing people, at loving people, at meeting them where they're at and showing them the value that you have in them. We pray in Jesus' name.